This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our DMO union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Awkward pauses. Awkward. I don't know why. I just chose to awkwardly pause during that intro. You got to shake it up here and there. I do. It got very, got very Captain Kirk. Just Yeah, you got to yeah, have some, uh, build some suspense. Just drop random pauses where they <laughs> don't need go. to be. Uh, unlike uh, Captain Kirk, we never pause. Not only do we give you an episode every week, yeah. sometimes now we're giving you two episodes in a week. And this is such a week because joining us once again is our friend Chip Knight. He's back with another interview. Hi, Chip. Hello. I was trying to think how to, how to, how to do that one word pause. I can't really do hello as a pause, but <laughs> hello. Good evening. Good afternoon. Whenever good, you're listening to this. Good, good. evening. Yes. Excellent. Uh, what, uh, what platter of interview words do you bring to us uh, this time? So I started a blog in 97, 98, 99, something like that. I don't remember. You were just like when. a ch- young child then, like three I, or four years old. I was just old. a young child. And I don't remember how I got a copy of this CD. It was either from a publicist in the mail, or maybe I picked up a promo copy at Use Kids Records because they used to throw out Sub Pop promos. But with the name Sub Pop on it, I'm sure that's kind of what in- intrigued me. For this episode, I interviewed Heather Doobie. Now, Heather was, uh, was signed to Sub Pop. She put out her debut record, Post to Wire in 1999. I really liked that album in 1999, and I still listen to it quite a bit. Um, it's to me, it's very unlike what was coming out on Sub Pop at the time. I'd be interested in hearing what other people think. Uh, I did have a chance to interview Ben from Band of Horses, who was in Seattle at the time. And when I mentioned to him that I was going to be interviewing an artist that was on Sub Pop around the time that he was, you know, getting his start and working in Seattle. I told him that it was something to me that was a little bit unusual. And when I told him it was the interview I was going to do was with Heather Doobie, he was like, no, no, that totally fit into the label at the time. So maybe I'm wrong, but, Hmm. um, you know, to, to me, Heather's Heather's debut poster wire. Um, it's got some electronic elements. She worked pretty closely with Steve Fisk on the album. And I know that Steve has been a, a guest on the podcast in the past. And so Steve brings that production, that electronic sound um, Heather's put out a couple records since then and uh, definitely does not have all those electronic embellishments. So I think this was sort of in her career, sort of like a one-off, um, but a great introduction to folks. Awesome. I was not familiar, Jay. Were you familiar with this I album? Wasn't, or I wasn't. And, you know, based on the timing, Sub Pop, the Steve Fist connection, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of her. Yeah. yeah. She, um, I, I, so I interviewed her in 1999 and, you know, We'll do that thing that they say in podcasts, like we'll put it in the show notes, a link to it. Uh, but um, so, I mean, I talked to her 23 years ago, and then I think maybe over the years, maybe through different platforms, MySpace, probably originally at some point or Facebook or Instagram, um, you know, every 
six, seven years, I'd say, hey, listen to Heather's music today or something. We'd trade a quick note, but nothing really. We didn't really keep in touch per se. But um, when, when, when we started talking about doing this series for Dig Me Out, I kind of went through artists that I would like to catch up with that I've already talked to in the past, in addition to the bands and artists that I have never talked to. And Heather's name, I was just interested in finding out whatever, whatever happened with her. And so she was top of my list and she might've been one of the first people I reached out to for, you know, for Dig Me Out and, and to do these interviews. Um, you'll hear in the interview, but uh, she put out a record in 2020. Uh, we joked that, you know, putting it out during the middle of the pandemic was uh, perfect timing. Um, <laughs> She she had Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth play drums, and she actually had, uh, as I mentioned in the in the interview, friend of the show because we can say that now. John N. Yellow produced the record. Uh, she, she actually met him at a bar that she worked at. They started talking music, and thus a relationship was born. So she did put out a record in 2020. You can find it on all the streaming services, Bandcamp, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, Jay mentioned, and both of you have mentioned that you don't really know her music and had never really heard of her she didn't really do a bunch of touring um the record came out and things came up in her life and again she wasn't i i don't know that that the label really knew who to put her on the road with so you know you couldn't really put her on in the 1999 interview she told me that she played like a showcase maybe maybe a cmj showcase with nebula which uh, when you hear Heather's music, if you're not familiar with it, you'll see how absurd that sounds. So that's a say, that's a strange combination. Hmm. Yeah. So it's not like Sub Pop had a had a roster of these kind of you know electronic artists. I, she I guess she could have done stuff with you know I don't know if Pigeon had toured, but like she could have done stuff maybe in that world. Um, but I don't I don't think it ever happened. I know she no. did some touring with um, Minus a Bear. Uh, yeah, she she, uh, she sang on a couple of records. Yeah, and she's had some some of the folks from Minus a Bear kind of guest on her records so um she has that relationship but really yeah not a ton of touring and we go into reasons for that in the interview got it all right well let's let's get to that interview thanks chip yep well, let's go to it Welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm really excited about this interview because as I was going through my list of bands that I'd interviewed and artists I'd interviewed in the 90s, I wanted to catch up with some of those people, some of the people I haven't talked to in a long time. And one of those people is Heather Doobie. Heather, welcome to the Dig Me Out podcast. Hello. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I interviewed you in 1999. You had just released Post to Wire on Sub Pop Records. And as Dig Me Out is a podcast about the 90s, we'll talk about the 90s a little bit and we'll talk about the record, but I also want to give you a chance to talk about things other than the 90s. But to get us kind of grounded and started, uh, the 90s was, I was going to say a long decade, but every decade is 10 years, right? It's not that long. Um, and it was a long time ago, but can you tell me sort of like where you were at the beginning of the 90s? Uh, well, um, let's see. I finished high school in 92 and um I was leaving 
where I grew up and uh, I was going to Evergreen State College in Olympia. Um, and uh, that was when Unwound was playing in Olympia a lot, um, which was really, that was great. I, I didn't make it to their shows because I was intimidated by that whole scene, but I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, and uh, so that was going on uh, in that area. And, um, uh, and then, uh, but I was only at Evergreen for a year and a half. Um, I decided to leave school because um, I wanted to just focus on music. And um, I, I left Olympia and moved up to Seattle. Um, and I was by myself and uh, I just started playing around there. But there was so much good music going on in the whole region at that time. Um, and uh, what was great about growing up in the Portland area was that there was access to a lot of all ages venues um, or 21 and up venues also. So like, so if you were underage, you could still go see bands. Um, and Seattle didn't actually have that. Seattle had a much uh, stricter ordinance as, as far as like kids being able to go to shows. So I felt really uh, fortunate to grow up around Portland because you could go see bands. And um, um, so, but yes, it was such a long time ago. <laughs> right. It, I, I keep seeing this t-shirt that says, um, I, might, I might be old, but I saw all of the cool bands. And I think like in the, in the early nineties, I mean, like you, I, I got to see, or I, I don't know what you saw in the, in the nineties, but um, I mean, I, I that was a great time to be able to go to concerts. I think it was, it was, yeah, it really was. I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of, uh, local bands. And then I also saw like a lot of like some of the bigger bands. And, um, um, uh, I, I remember I, I saw Nirvana, uh, and the red hot chili peppers at the Salem Armory. Um, that was, and I think that was when I was still in high school. Um, and then, uh, what else there? I mean, there was just, there was so much, uh, I saw uh, the, the Melvins and that band Carp. Uh, oh, yeah. Carp was great um, playing at the Capitol Capitol Theater backstage area because um, they so they used to like so not in like the seated part of the auditorium but in the backstage. Um, uh, what else? Whole, just a ton of stuff. I mean, sorry. <laughs> Were there bands that you saw that that didn't make it that you thought? like when you were watching them, like, uh, this band's going to be playing the arena down the street someday. And I can't wait for that. Uh, you know, so, um, the band that comes to mind when you mention that is the band pond. Oh yeah. Uh, the port, they were a Portland band. Um, and they did do some arenas. They did do a few, some arena stuff after that, but I sort of thought that they would keep going and, they didn't really seem to do a whole lot after that, but I was always a big fan of theirs even before I saw them up in Seattle. So I, I got to see them in Portland a few times. Um, uh, I had a, a, a cassette tape when I was a freshman of the Dharma Bumps, which was a great band. Um, and so there was some, there was a lot of stuff like that that didn't really like catch on and get even larger, but that I was, that I got to see. And it was, and they were all like really distinctive. Their sounds were all very, really distinctive. Um, you know, later in the nineties, like, you know, more towards the two thousands and stuff, like I saw like quasi and, uh, that band fuck. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was at a uh, satiricon in Portland. 
but that was much later. That was like after I'd moved, moved away. And so. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I'm going to put in a plug for the listeners to join the Patreon for Dig Me Out because you get access to the Discord message board group. I think that's what Discord is. It's a Discord discussion group. And Pond is actually a band that has been talked about recently among the people who have are part of that Discord group. And that inspired me to pull out the album that came out after... They had an album called Rock Collection. Does that sound right? I think so. Whatever yeah. the album is after that, I, it's literally sitting in my car right now. I have a CD player in my car and I had listened to Pond last week. So that's, uh, that's funny. That you oh, that's them. great. Yeah. So they're, they're really nice guys too. They're really they're nice people. Yeah. So you moved to Seattle and you want to pursue music. How, how hard or easy was it at that time? I, I mean, you know, I think historically, if we look at documentaries or read books, you know, it's thriving, Nirvana, Sub Pop starting to take off. Was it easy to work your way into it, or was it um, was it still a challenge just like anywhere else? No, it was it was actually it was really difficult. I I found um, I think um, uh, you know I got I got bumped from some shows um, here and there, like at venues. Like there was a whole there was a whole uh, process of trying to uh, get booked in the venues where like the bands that that I wanted to be playing with, uh, where they were performing. Like when I started out, it was just me playing acoustic guitar with, you know, really bad songs. <laughs> um, and like playing like the more of like the college circuit down in, uh, like Pioneer square, like college, college venues where like, you know, people are going to get drunk and they're not really going to listen to music. They're just, they're just going so they can be in the bar. And, um, one of them, uh, I wasn't, I, I wasn't 21 yet. So I think I was, I think I was only 20 because I moved to Seattle when I was 19, I think. And so I was 20 and I was just playing. Um, and I remember it being a big deal that I wasn't 21 yet. And I was playing in this bar. It was called Dutch Neds and, uh, and it was in uh, really far South Pioneer Square. I don't even know if it's still there. It might be, I don't know, but, but so there was this whole process of me, you know, trying to, get to get stuff together enough so that I could play in venues where the the bands that I really liked and that I admired were playing. And then I um and then I started playing with Reggie Watts and Ryan Link and we had a three piece. So I, um, it's it's funny. I remember when I talked to you in 1999, we talked about Clementine, the band that you were right. in with Reggie and Ryan. Um I knew who Reggie was at the time. Oh you introduced me to Mocktube. I did not know I, I think I knew the name. Um, again, I don't expect you to remember this interview, but, um, my friend Brad Smith from Blind Melon had produced MockTube and that's how I knew about MockTube. Oh, and, okay. and then, um, and you told me about Clementine and here we are 23 years later. And I don't know if you ever recorded anything, but I cannot find anything. And I think the way you described it back then, I've been searching for it. Is there any recorded material from that time? I, I don't know where it is. <laughs> I don't know. And it's funny, Ryan, um, I interviewed Ryan. We, re- we recorded some stuff, but we didn't ever release anything. Yeah. yeah. I interviewed Ryan. Um, he had a band called Misfortune. Yep. Um, and I did not know that he was part of Clementine when I interviewed you before. I, he reached out to me a year, two, three, something like that later. Um, and I didn't realize that Ryan was part of that band until like a week ago. Uh, when. <laughs> It, that oh, sort of blew my funny. mind because I I know I know his name. Um, we traded emails back in the day, and um, a, 
an acquaintance of mine, I think may have played guitar in Misfortune. Um, a guy named yeah. Jay, Jay Barclay. I don't know if you know that name at all, but um, small world, a lot of connections all over the place, it seems like. Yeah. It was Clementine. Like, did, did was that a real band to the point where like, like you had labels checking you out where you thought it was going to be something or was that something where you were just playing with some friends? Uh, I think we had hoped that that was, that would be the way that it would evolve. But, um, but then we all also had our own projects, um, that we were doing. Um, and, uh, Reggie also had done some, uh, work with Steve Fisk, uh, who I did post a wire with Reggie had done some work with Steve Fisk, um, for some pigeonhead stuff with Sean Smith. Um, and so we all knew each other. So there wasn't any sort of acrimony or anything about it, but the, but the, but Clementine just kind of dissolved. Um, it wasn't really a big deal. I think it was, it was like everyone was doing other things as well. Like everyone just got sort of busy and it, it got kind of put on the back burner. And, and I don't think any of us were too upset about it, but we really, we had a good time when we were playing together and it was, it was always, I really enjoyed our practices. I really enjoyed like our practice space and working stuff out. And I was still like, I was still like fairly new with guitar and they were really patient. They, they were better, they were better players than I was and they were super supportive. And um, so that was a great experience for me to have as a first band, you know, to get to work with both of them. And I'm, I'm still good friends with both of them. And, um, you know, we don't talk too often. Everyone's really busy, but, but I, I, that's like, I, it was a really valuable experience for me to get to play with them. So. Yeah. I mean, Reggie has gone on to do a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah. it's funny when I see him on TV or on Netflix specials or wherever I see him, like, I love those mock tube records. And I keep thinking like, man, do people know that he's this musical genius and that he's created such great music at, you know, like, He's not out, out like I don't know that people know that stuff. Right. Well, I yeah, I don't I don't know if they do either. Like the just the incredible range that he has as a person and as a performer. And I mean, he really I mean it's it just it just goes and goes and goes. So, yeah. so yeah. So so that's how you met Steve Fisk. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think Reggie introduced he and I. Yep. Um and you were waiting tables at the time to to pay bills and stuff. Yep, still I still do that. <laughs> yeah, um, still do that. When I talked to I, I mentioned I, I I mentioned to you in an email that I had talked to um, Ben from Band of Horses, and he said he knew you from from Seattle. And did you guys work together, or did you just know each other from music scenes? I know he said he told me all about like washing dishes and living in club like in club spaces and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we just, we had a lot of friends in common. Um, I used to date someone that was in his band, uh, when, after his first record came out, like his touring band, I used to date someone that, um, and, uh, um, so we just, yeah, we knew a lot of the same people and we were in a lot of, a lot of the same shows and everything like that. So was it a, was it a, in Seattle at that time, like around the time of this, when you signed us up, up, was it a pretty strong music community? I mean, like were all of your friends music related somehow, or, um, or, or did you, or did you have other friends that weren't music people? Uh, well, I, I've always had, uh, friends from kind of two different communities. Um, 
tons of friends from music and then tons of friends from working in restaurants um because they're not always synonymous um uh but i would say that um during the, let's see i lived in seattle from like 94 to 2008 and i would for myself uh the community the music community was very strong very strong yeah so 94 that was after nirvana had blown up yeah okay so you didn't bump into those guys walking down the street or anything or were they were they out no. about in seattle now no i didn't um i the first cafe that i worked at um one of the guys from Alice and Chains used to come in fairly regular. And I met a lot of people that were like booking agents and manage, management and, you know, people that worked around those bands a lot, um, yeah. but not the players as much. So, uh, so you start working with, with Steve did, and what I don't remember, did you have the songs and then Steve kind of came in and, and worked on them or did you guys collaborate on them or how did, how did post a wire come together and how did, how was your relationship with Steve on that record? So I would, I would write stuff at home and then I would bring it. So we, I, the record really was kind of in two sections. The, and I, so I would write stuff at home and then bring it to him. And then we would uh, change things, add different textures, uh, rearrange stuff like move sections, just do a whole lot of work on making those, those ideas better. Um, and then and then there were a couple that were more fully formed that that that, that didn't require that much changing, um, and uh, and then and then we really were presented with the challenge of trying to have it all like sit together, you know, as one one record, um, and and we had a lot of we had quite a few things that we threw out that we didn't even end up using. Um, we worked on it for a really long time. Um, because it just kind of sort it continued to evolve like as we you know were I mean the a lot of like a normal like a it seems to me that like a normal band situation the songs are written you go in and make the record and you're done this was really more of a collaborative like writing process as we did it so it was a really different approach in that respect did you wait until you had the collection of songs to go to Sub Pop or was Sub Pop already interested? Were you already going to put it out on Sub Pop? Oh, Sub Pop was already interested and um, had, had, had committed to the project for the most part. So they had already committed to it and it just was a matter of time as to when they decided that it was finished. Yeah. So. What was it like being signed to Sub Pop? I mean, not only the clout of the label, but was there were they helpful financially to you or were they just a distribution method for you? Um, yeah, there was some support um, from Sub Pop. Um, uh, you know, when, when we were finished, we were um, given a small amount of money and uh, I think Steve was helped with his studio a bit. Um, and that was kind of the extent of it. You know, I was released from my contract with them. Uh, my second, they didn't, they chose not to release my second record. so. Um, that was it. Yeah. Again, I'm going back to that interview that we did 23 years ago. And I think I asked you about touring and, and I think you had mentioned, um, that you had done some sort of maybe a CMJ showcase or like you were on some build Nebula. And cause I was asking yeah, like yeah. how you fit in with other bands in the label. And, um, because to me at the time, 
I don't remember at the time, honestly. And actually, when I talked to Ben from Band of Horses, and I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing a sub hop artist from the late 90s that, in my mind, didn't seem to fit into the sub hop label. And when I told him it was you, he was like, she totally fit into the sub hop label. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, so, I, so I do think as the 90s were coming to an end, sub hop was changing. It wasn't all punk rock and grunge. It was, they were, they were branching out. And, and um, did, did you feel like you were? the black sheep on the sub pop family or did you feel like you had camaraderie with other bands and that you sort of felt part of the family from a music perspective well i mean i i had a great musical partnership in my working relationship with steve um and still do like i he's so dear to me and and um you know and jonathan also jonathan really helped us with that record and listened to you know songs as they were finished and 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 you know, the, the, what I was told was that, um, well, I guess uh, to answer your question, I, no, I, I didn't really, I, at that time, at that time, at that particular time in 1999, um, I didn't feel that I, a lot of camaraderie with anyone else on the label, you know, later when they did like Mur the murder city devils, uh, those guys are great. And, um, I, you know, um, they were always just awesome. They were always great to me. And like, um, you know, cause I mean, it, it is certain, like it sort of sticks out like a soul, you know, I'm not like, you know, that close to wire is not like a mirror record or like, you know what I mean? There's a certain, I mean, you know, um, and her stuff was coming out at that time too. So it's like, a, um, so like she, I feel like she would have been a more natural fit than what I was doing. Yeah, you know, um, and I, I have a lot of I really admire her work. I, I think she's really wonderful. So, um, you know, so it's not it's not something that upsets me. It's just I think it, I think it is, it's just the way it that's the way it was at the time. You know, um, the second record that I made, I thought would have been a, still a good fit. But, it, you know, from their view, it was it was too much of a departure from what the first record was. And, you know, that's fine. That's their prerogative. You yeah. know, I. I I move forward with it anyway, with, you know, regardless. So I do think I still, I mean, I still have the post to wire CD. I still have the CD player in my car, like I mentioned with the pond CD and, and I still listen to post to wire maybe like once a year, I think. And I think it's still like, I think it sounds relevant today. Like, I don't think it sounds dated. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of artists. I th I feel like that are sort of doing what you did 22 years ago, mixing different elements, different production styles, different, electronic elements along with you know female vocalists like that that stuff is is still popular well and, and i something i would say too is um uh as far as what we did with the arrangements like with the songs that i brought to them is that the the songs themselves are still kind of they're not really that formulaic they're all kind of just sort of you know the the arrangements are kind of different and you know they're not like they're not so much like A, B, A, B, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the record is really kind of, I, I always viewed it kind of, or heard it as being like sort of cinematic almost. It's got, it's like evokes a lot of imagery still for me. And, uh, um, and I think, you know, my own writing changed after that record, it kind of shifted. Um, I wanted to do, I just, there was something, 
there was other stuff that I wanted to work on that I wanted to get better at as far as a, as a writer, as a songwriter. Um, so, but yeah, I think that rec that record is just, it's kind of its own thing. It's very, <laughs> so. You know, it's funny yeah. when you said cinematic and I was trying to think like, what could I compare it to you? And I, I'm hearing falter in my head and I'm thinking like, that's very St. Vincent like. And, and I've always thought of St. Vincent as cinematic and like twisted Disney music or something like that. And, and I can hear, like I can, now that I'm kind of putting my memory to, to the test here of Poster Wire, like that might be a, a comparable artist maybe, and, and, and at least some of the songs, I think. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't listened to St. Vincent. I have to, I must confess yeah. because I... I like I'm sort of in a cave and there's so much there's so much music I haven't heard but yeah but so like you said um so pop chose not to put out the next record I think you put it out on sonic boom records yeah mm -hmm. um tell me more about that label because I remember that label but I I remember the name of the label and I and I have this I have your second I have you had an EP in between right I did it. I, yeah, I had an EP that I did, um, which was more um, uh, like dance music. It was yeah. more electronic. Um, and that was with Reggie. Reggie helped with that also. Reggie played um, with this um, Skylar Gilmore, I think, uh, uh, was like a drum and bass DJ. So um, there's some great tracks off of that that, tur that turned out pretty well. Um, uh, so we did that EP. And then I... Um, I had some things going on in my personal life that were really, really um, just unpar unparalleled um, that had to do with uh, meeting my biological family. Um, and uh, so I changed my songwriting. And um, and so, and Jason Hughes, who uh, does the Sonic Boom record stores, had the Sonic Boom label. And uh, I, he was willing to help me and he released it. Um, and so I did that record with him. And then I did another full length, uh, the second, the self-titled one, um, which he released that one as well. Um, so, yeah. Going into Post Wire, you had spent a couple of years kind of honing your song crafting and everything. Was, was, was the dream to make music to to make that your career to be on big stages or was that something like when you're making after sub hop didn't pick up the next record was it sort of like okay i got to think about what else i'm going to do here or were you pushing and, and still trying to to make it on those on those during that early 2000s period um well let's see i have i have a couple things to say um First of all, I read that I went back and read the interview that we did back in 99. And I was so embarrassed at how, how thoughtless I was about so many of the things that I said. And I just thought, you know, that's like, that's really just like the, the arrogance of youth. I just was young and I didn't really, I wasn't being thoughtful um, about the things that I said. And I was, you know, I was obviously still like, I was upset about some things that I was dealing with. And, um, um, so I wanted to state that, um, and, uh, when I was on Sub Pop and we did Post to Wire, I, I was really aspirational. I really did want to 
like I, I, I wanted to tour all the, I wanted to be on tour and I wanted to perform all over. I wanted to go, I wanted to travel a big, a big motivation to about playing music was, you know, the opportunity to travel. And that's, you know, something that my other friends that play music that they, you know, that was, that's what they've wanted to do too. And I, you know, I've never been able to do very much of that at all. So um, that's been disappointing. Um, but, but when I was released from my contract with Sub Pop, I didn't really, I, because of the things I was dealing with in my personal life with meeting my biological family at the age of 26, which is not, you know, that's not a very typical experience. I have other friends, I have a good friend who, who also has gone, I have a couple of good friends who have gone through that process, but, but it's, you know, it's quite a lot to process. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, the stuff I was dealing with about that, I couldn't really, I couldn't really think about trying to make music my, it really, I, I couldn't continue to think about it in the same way anymore because I was just trying to cope with and get and just get to a place that felt normal um, with the with the stuff going on in my personal life. Um, uh, you know, which was which was difficult, but I I did have some great opportunities. I got to play in New York City quite a bit for my or it felt like quite a bit to me. You know, I got to perform at Joe's Pub, which was really a great honor. Um, uh, you know, I, I got to play at some, at, at some venues that were, that I had only, would only have only, only have ever hoped to be, I would never have expected to get to play at the, at the places that I performed. And so, um, you know, and I, I got to, um, go out on tour with Minus the Bear. I was singing with them. I was doing some backup work with them and, um, they were always great to me. And I, so, so I, you know, I have no complaints. I mean, <laughs> it's just, but I did, I had to sort of adjust my thinking because I was just, you know, I, I, but I also didn't really, I didn't realize what I had lost when I was released from that label. I didn't, I didn't really understand the the scope of it, that it would, you know, that it would be, you know, that it was, it would be hugely limiting, um, you know, and I, I regret the, the ways you know the way that I was maybe cavalier but that was not it wasn't um it wasn't out of ill will it was just yeah. it, it was just um uh, just the foolishness of being young and and upset about stuff that I you know that was that had nothing to do with music I mean you know you know young when you're young you're upset <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say I, I don't think really like you're the only the only songwriter who's ever uh, felt that way. <laughs> I yeah, think it's a, it's a young, tale as old as time. Yeah, Absolutely. You're upset. So yeah. I will, I will admit that I, I didn't realize that you had put out so many records in the, in the early two thousands, like every couple of years you were putting something out. Yeah. It was, yep. Yep. Nothing was really went longer than four years. And then, um, and then after I moved to new to the East coast. So in 2008, I moved, or 2007, I moved to the East Coast, um, and um, and I and then I, I I did an EP that I released in 2011, uh, and I did that with Matt Bayless, which was a that was a great experience. Um, I had a great band that I was working with, um, Tom Barrett and Tom Unish, um, 
Uh, we so we had a three piece, and uh, we played. Um, we did a couple shows with Reggie. Um, we played at pianos and on the Lower East Side and um, uh, Union Pool and uh, Mercury Lounge and so a lot of like great great venues. Um, and we when we recorded, we it's no longer there, I think, but we recorded at Headgear Studios, which is over there in Williamsburg. Um, this guy Alex's place. Um, and some great records were done there. Some TV and radio records were done there. And um, so, uh, and it was really fun to get to record with Matt because I'd, I'd wanted to work with him for a long time. And I, I think that EP turned out really well. So yeah. it's called Latency. It's the kind of, it's got the illustration on the cover. My friend Natalia did. Oh yeah, nice. Um, and then you started going to law school around that time or after that or what was you went to law school at some point yeah so so uh i moved to the east coast in 2007 i released that ep in 2011 um uh i think it was in january of 2011 and in july of that year i was in a really bad accident with my bike uh, and a truck and my hands were run over because <laughs> I'm lucky like that. And, uh, I was pinned under the truck oh. and, um, uh, I had 10 surgeries. Um, I was, but I was going to school at that time. I had just, so when I left Evergreen, after 10 years, your credits don't transfer. So I had had to redo all of my credits. So I, I had gone to community college while I was working almost full-time in restaurants and still doing the band. And I'd gone to community college and gotten my associate's degree. And then I was in the accident. And then, so I had to take a year off from everything and have surgeries. Um, and uh, in 2012, I went to Rutgers Newark and got my BA, like finished my BA. And in 2014, I started law school, which had always been my plan, right? I, I The only reason I went back to school was because I wanted to go to law school. That was the only reason I went back. To, otherwise, I would never, I would never have gone back to school. And um, so in 2014, I started law school, and then I graduated in 2017. And then 2000. And in 2018, you started working on new music. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I graduated law school in 2017. And then I recorded that most recent EP that was recorded in December of 2018. I've never been to law school. I don't have the, uh, the, I don't uh, recommend it right <laughs> at this point. Uh, yeah, that's, that's far, far in, in my past, but, um, so I don't understand the brain, the way it works for what you have to do. Did you have to put your creativity aside for absolutely. your studies? Oh, absolutely. It's I, incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's really hard. I think maybe if you were, well, so like Steven Peterson from Cursive and okay. Criteria, he, he's, he went to law school and um I think maybe once you're practicing, maybe it's not as difficult. But when I was going, um, 
when I was in law school, I think being in law school is so different than when you're actually an attorney. And you know, I'm not an attorney. I've, I'm all I, I'm good. I went to law. That's all I, I'm good. I just wanted to find out if I could get that degree. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I just did. You know, it, it was, and I think it also helped me recover from my accident. Yeah. To some degree, I think that, um, you know, taking on a really challenging intellectual project like that um, for me was a good way for me to get past what had happened with my hands. Um, Cause I mean, they, they were supposed to be amputated as that was like, initially they thought they'd be amputated. So, yeah. um, you know, and someone asked me about, you know, like if I, about playing music and, you know, for a long time, I was like, I, there's I, there's just no joy in it right now for me. It's not it's not joyful. It still is frustrating. It's more frustrating than it's ever been, you know, still because of what happened to my hands. And that was I just so I needed something else to do. So I might as well do something that I felt like I don't know if I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Like I wanted to drop out many times when yeah. I was in law school. I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this because the workload is just enormous. You know, I mean, and you know, so like a like an outline for one class, just the out just the outline can be like 60 pages long. Just the outline. You know, I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. So, you know, if you're taking so anyway, so. And I was doing other stuff at the time when I was in law school. I was also working with the Brooklyn Volunteer Lawyers Project. Um, I was, uh, you know, I just did like other, other sort of ancillary jobs like that. Um, so, but yeah. So when I was in law school, no, I wasn't. I wasn't able to write. But as soon as I graduated, and I was working at a, I was working at the reason I moved up to where I am now is because I had a two-year fellowship with New York State. So I had, a, I had a job when I finished law school. It was a two-year placement um, with a state agency. And it was, in, it was in a topic area that I was really, that was, that was near and dear to my heart. That was part of the reason that I had wanted to go. And so, um, but when I was doing that job was when I started writing the most recent EP. And how did you hook up with John and Yellow? Uh, you know, I, I would call him a friend of the Dig Me Out show even though he appeared for like 10 minutes on one episode, he probably has, doesn't remember that or doesn't even, you know, dig me out. It's probably one of a hundred podcasts he's done, but for, for our, for our sake, we'll call him a friend of the show. So how did you hook up with him and how did he end up producing and working with you on the record? So I've known John um, almost, almost the whole time that I've been on the East coast. So I've known him a long time. Um, he, I, I was bartending in Jersey city and he used to come into where I worked. Um, Barcade, Jersey City. Um, he used to come in there quite a bit, and we had a lot of mutual friends. And uh, so we would just talk about music. And he was, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a natural conversation to be like, oh, we should, you should do something. We should do something. It was like it was a no-brainer. Um, and so it was just sort of a matter of when we would get to do that. You know, when we, when would we get the chance? And uh, um, and uh and i and he he's worked with steve a lot with steve shelley a lot and then uh 
And then I had worked with Lori um, on the on Come Across the River on the second record that I did, um, the first one that Sonic Boom released. So, um, so that was how those players came together. And Tom, who played guitar, used to play in the the band that I had when I was in that I played around New York City with. Oh, very so, cool. So yeah. you recorded it in 2018, and then um, and then you release it. I, I don't know the release date. Was it, uh, did you, did you release it right in the middle of a pandemic? I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was just like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm just going to, I, why am I even, I don't know why I even sat on it that long. I think I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. I, you know, we made this record and, um, and, uh, so yeah, I was just like, all right. And John was like, well, do you want to just like release one song at a time and see how it goes? And I was like, no, let's just get it. Just get it. It's like pulling the tooth. Let's just get it out of the, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's out. Uh, it, are the creative juices still going? You, are you working on more stuff? You think you'll record something else in soon or are you in the midst of recording anything? Uh, well, I've, I've written I've written quite a bit. I haven't settled on any of it. That's kind of how I go about it. I so I I've, I've been writing quite a lot and I um I got myself I got myself a mini electric guitar uh which for me is awesome because I don't have any re my reach is really substantially limited now and uh uh Ben Varellen was kind enough to to make an, an, another amp for me so I got so he sent that out. So I have like the, I have, I love my guitar setup now. And um, it's like really chimey and beautiful. I just, it's really, so I've been writing, you know, I, I kind of, I write on guitar and I write on piano and then I go back to guitar and then I go back to piano. And so I really, I really want to get like a batch of songs together that I feel totally a hundred percent, like super strong about. Um, because now I'm not writing under as much pressure. When I was writing uh, in 2018, before we recorded, like, you know, I was, I just, the conditions of my life weren't really conducive to being able to sort of sit with ideas and ruminate as I just was really under a, a lot more pressure because of my job and, and things like that. So I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of enjoying it more now uh, than I did then. As we started off this interview and I mentioned, um, I know the nineties were a long time ago. Like I have bits and pieces of nineties memories. You know, I don't remember everything. Can you, in a sentence or two, can you sort of sum up the nineties for you? Good, the bad, the memories, like if, if we took Heather 1990s and put it into a, a tweet, how would you describe the nineties, your experience in the nineties? For me, it would it would have been just simply that I I left college and you know to pursue music, like that was the whole reason that I was like if well it was I, my feeling was is that if I didn't do that, then later in life I would regret never have tried tried to do that. I would I would have regretted not abandoning the supposed security that getting the college education was at that time. Um, I would have regretted not abandoning that in pursuit of something that I thought I would be better at doing. And that would, 
I, you know, I've, I thought that I had, I thought that if nothing else, I thought at least I had like some kind of unique viewpoint. I don't know that that's true. <laughs> I think probably it's not. But at the time, I thought that I did. I thought, you know, I have, I have something to say that's unique. Well, yeah. probably not. But, and, you know, the irony is too, is that really like one of most, most of the best songs are the best songs because they are not about a unique viewpoint. They're about something that everyone can can share in, you know, and experience and like that resonates, you know, with everyone. So, <laughs> so I had it kind of backwards, but yeah. whatever. I, you know, I still like think that I I don't it was the right decision for me. Have I not been like upset and you know frustrated and exhausted and you know all these things for not choosing a more secure and stable route? Yeah, but I mean, I, somehow I think I would have still ended up here. Yeah, yeah, you know. So yeah. I don't know. That's not really a tweet, though. No, that's <laughs> not, no, that's not no, that's, a tweet. That's quite all right. <laughs> so at, as we wrap up, you mentioned you have a new record out that came out in 2020. Um, let the listeners know how can how can people hear it? Where can they find you? Do you have a website? Are you on social media? Are you on Bandcamp? Here's your chance so, uh, to plug away. Okay, I, I'm I'm on Bandcamp. It's Heather Doobie. And then uh, I have a website. It's just heatherdoobie.com. Um, and that has links to stuff and has the other records on there. Uh, I, that's about it. I don't really know that there's much else going on. Um, I have an Instagram account. It's Heather underline, um, like underscore, and then Doobie. So there, there's a space in between it. Um, uh that's it i'm hoping to play a live show again someday um uh the last uh i think yeah the last performance i did uh was at music hall of williamsburg and i played all my i did a show all by myself um because my the i still had the three-piece band at the time but they weren't able to make it so i i opened for minus the bear and did a solo set um i my a big hope of mine would be to be able to do that again, especially since after the accident, you know, just to, um, uh, because I have the, I have pedals and things so I can make it happen. Um, so I'd like to do that and I'd like to record again with John and, um, and, uh, that's about it. Awesome. So 22 years later, I'm very happy we had a chance to, uh, to chat again. Um, I remember that interview back in the day and uh, it, it's been great catching up with you. Um, were you like, were you like, why does she cost so much? No, like I said, uh, when, I, when I started this series, I, I went down this list of, of the, I, the whole idea behind the Dig Me Out podcast is to dig out things that were overlooked, underappreciated, things that people may not have known about in the 90s. And so when I think about artists, like I said, I listen to Post Wire at least once a year. And so as I was thinking about artists that I wanted to talk to, um, it was cool that we had talked once before because I, I, the other bands I've interviewed so far, um, I, I, I had never, I didn't have a, any background with at all. So um, I, I was, I was, uh, I was excited to, to track you down and, and happy that you, uh, that you agreed to do this. So thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, Good to awesome. catch up. Yep. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. 